Hello, welcome back to the Shaping Little Minds podcast. I am so excited for this episode. If you've listened to this podcast since the very beginning, I've done like an episode or two on the importance of play in an early childhood classroom. But today, I'm bringing the theme of play back onto the podcast, but we're diving into how to make play part of the learning process in the early childhood classroom. And this could also go for, honestly, early elementary school kids because they're still young enough that they enjoy playing. So today, I got to welcome my very good friend back onto the podcast, Carla. She's an early childhood educator and entrepreneur. She is the founder of Early Learning Foundations and honestly is one of the biggest advocates for early childhood educators. So please help me welcome her back onto the podcast today. I am so excited to dive in. Welcome back to Shaping Little Minds podcast. I am so excited to be back on and talking about a topic that you and I are both so passionate about. So very, very excited to be here. Okay, so to start off, there are people who probably don't know you, probably new listeners. So can you tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Carla Ward. I am an early childhood educator here in Ontario, Canada. I've been in ECE for over 17 years and I have a small education business where we do tutoring, but also more importantly, we support early childhood educators in bringing play to life and bringing play to children every day, all day. I love it, which is why this is a great topic. (laughs) Absolutely. So Play has become a little bit controversial. I don't know if it actually has always been, but it's become controversial in early childhood because of the academia. So can you talk a little bit about that and why it's become so controversial? I think it's because somewhere along the way, someone decided that flashcards, worksheets, and knowing your multiplication tables in the first grade was the only way to tell if your kid was smart. And so it's not that play is bad. It's that somebody said that the other stuff is going to help their child be smarter. And funny enough, it's the opposite. If you skip play and go straight to flashcards, worksheets, memorizing the ABCs, all you're going to land up with is a kid who's memorized their ABCs, knows how to count to 100, but has no idea what any of that means. So it's great that your kid can go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But if a child does not understand what quantity means, so if seven is more than six, that's not being set up for success. It's not understanding numbers. And when you don't understand something, you cannot apply it. And it's going to catch up to you later on. Yeah, unfortunately, early childhood centers are still doing the worksheets. And um, I I am part of Facebook groups for early childhood teachers. And I see teachers posting about their twos doing worksheets. And I'm like, no, don't do it. <laughs> no. And the thing is, is there's, there really is zero benefit. Like there is no benefit to having a child do a worksheet. And I mean, I'm the first to say I am a huge learning without tears fan. I am all about their writing program. I'm all about the music and I am about their workbooks. I do enjoy their workbooks. So Mm -hmm. I sound a little bit contradictory when I say this, but in the same breath, I'm meeting my students where they're at. 
I am not making children who can't hold a pencil write out the H, the letter H over and over again. What we're doing is, you know, we're working on our fine motor skills. There has to be a foundational skill before moving ahead. Um, My business is called Early Learning Foundations for the sole fact that I believe you cannot build, you cannot start building an apartment building from the second floor because the whole thing is going to crumble. You have to start at the basement. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I have to share this very cool fact. It may or may not be true. <laughs> I haven't actually researched if it's true, but I'm reading Atomic Habits at the moment. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how bamboo spends three to five years under the ground. And then all of a sudden shoots up exponentially. And yeah. I think so much of that is like what we do in the early years. We spend zero to five underground. We're building that foundation. We're getting all the important stuff in place. We're making sure, you know, the kids have all the nutrients, they have all the knowledge, they have the fine motor skills, the social development. And then all of a sudden, when those foundational skills are there, they shoot up. Mm -hmm. Those academics are all going to come into play. We need to stop trying to rush it because we're skipping steps. And when you skip steps, that's when I get the phone calls as a tutor. Yeah, I'm sure you do. (laughs) Okay. Next question. What would you say to a teacher who feels like there isn't enough time with all the academic standards placed in the early childhood classroom? Well, ideally I'd like to say you can go ahead and burn all the academic standards in an early childhood classroom. But since I understand that it is not actually possible, let's be a little bit more realistic and start with the beginning implement play in your classroom. So start with your block center. So let's add loose parts. Let's add sticks. Let's add blocks. Let's add boxes. Let's add literacy into your block center. So let's add books about buildings, add books about blocks, add books about whatever the heck you want. Then go to a dramatic center and let's say you make a kitchen. Well, let's add literacy in there as well. Let's add cookbooks. Let's add recipe cards. Let's add, you know, um, reading from left to right with processes, how to make cookies. So put up little posters from left to right. Now you're teaching children how to read from left to right, because that's how our eyes travel when we're reading in English. So, and then you go to your art center, put out different types of art materials, thin crayons, thick crayons, short crayons, tall crayons, put out pastels, put out paints, put out bingo dabbers, put out different types of sensory material. There you go. You've just hit up a whole bunch of academic skills without a single worksheet, by the way. (laughs) And you can, if you sit and observe and listen and document, you will find those academic skills. And listen, and I know what it's like when you've got to justify it to admin. I do. I I know that that is a huge challenge. Admins or administrators are not always educators. Parents are generally not educators when they're bringing their children to our care. There is still an element where we are justifying what we're doing. I get it. So that's where your documentation comes into play because you're saying, You're getting ahead of it. You're not waiting for the parent to say, well, what did they learn? I didn't see any worksheets. You're going to get ahead of the game and say, your child counted to 10 today while building blocks. 
Your child learned quantity today because they compared two sizes of buildings. So you're going to get ahead. You're going to target those academic skills and prove that it's done through play. And it, it freaking works. Like I cannot say it enough. It works. That it does. That it does. It definitely does. Uh, you have to know why you're doing what you're doing and then be able to go back to the parents, to the administrators, to whoever, and tell them exactly that so that they understand why play is happening inside your classroom 100%. Absolutely. And also, fun fact about blocks, because I'm a huge block play and loose parts person, mm-hmm. is they've actually proven, it was a study done at a Florida State University, I believe, that children that do uh, well in block play in the early years actually have stronger math scores in high school, actually starting at the seventh grade. So they noticed that there was no correlation in grades three, four, five, but there was a correlation between students that were strong in block play and their math scores from seven, grade seven and up, which I thought was fascinating. That is fascinating. I guess I wasn't a big block play person. <laughs> You know what, honestly, I'm still is. (laughs) I believe anybody can be good at math. I've spent years as a tutor researching how the brain works and how math works. And anybody absolutely can learn math, but it's all about the approach and the teacher. And if we can start with block play, why not? I love it. So what we're talking about play um, and the, how much it can teach children Um, So what are other benefits that play has when you incorporate it into your classroom as an early childhood educator? Absolutely. Huge one, social and critical thinking. So let's start with the socials. So think about everything that goes into socializing. It's communicating with another person. It's collaborating with another person and it's solving conflicts with another person. And I mean, we know that conflicts happen in those early years because sharing is a huge part. But instead of us forcing sharing, it's working on supporting the children on their social skills in terms of using their words. So not forcing them to share, but having them communicate to another child that, no, actually, it's my turn with this right now. You can have it when I'm done. So it's creating this atmosphere where children are problem solving on their own. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, there's critical thinking. So I'm going to go back to block play just because again, it's one of those things that when you invest in block play, you're hitting all those academics is if a child is building a tower and it keeps falling over, our instinct is to go help the child. What we really need to do is step back and let them work through that process. I mean, watch for the frustration. Some children really struggle to um, keep their emotions in check when something gets so frustrating. And that's where we help with the social emotional skills. But often we'll find that the children will figure out, oh, hey, I've got to put the bigger block on the bottom and then the smaller blocks. So it's that critical thinking and I mean, I even think about people that are my age. Critical thinking is not always there. And it's probably a skill that we need more than, say, trigonometry in high school. Right? (laughs) Like, other than tutoring, I don't know when I use trig. So it's, but critical thinking, I'm constantly using it, right? Thinking outside the box, problem solving, um, 
coming up with new innovative ideas on how to get a new result to something. So if we can create generations of critical thinkers, people who know how to collaborate and communicate to other people, especially when we are such a phone and technology generation, right? Play is going to hit all of those targets. Yeah. I a thousand percent agree. Um, Speaking of technology, I know that a lot of parents use technology to occupy their kids. And I'm going to be honest, it drives me crazy. (laughs) Me too. And there's a great book called The Tech Solution by Dr. Shimmy Kang. And it's, she talks about the tech diet, because let's be realistic. I cannot go a day without looking at my phone. Like, And I don't think many of us could. And I think it would be unfair to expect parents to ask their children to stay off technology all day, especially when they're going to be following you around the house because they're quote unquote bored. Right. So I understand the use of technology, but I also understand that there needs to be a balance. So Dr. Shimmy Kang talks about this tech diet and, you know, on a Friday night, you might gorge chips and a tub of ice cream and Netflix. Okay. Mm -hmm. We know it's not healthy. But we're not going to do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We might just do it Friday. It's the same with technology, right? There's got to be a healthy use of technology, like maybe using it for homework or using it for tutoring or using it to do, you know, a couple of math games. But using your technology to just stare and watch YouTube all day. No, that's like eating an entire bag of chips. That is not healthy. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I can talk about balance of technology. Yeah, All me day. too. <laughs> you <laughs> and me both. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about what the, what skills children can develop. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that or. Oh, uh, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> you want to add a few more skills that children well, can get I mean, out of play? Even just adding imagination, right? Mm. Like, I, I don't know why we feel that when they get to elementary school, we've got to kind of suffocate that imagination, but then expect them to write creative stories when they get to the fourth and fifth grade. Yes. Right. So, I mean, so much of what I spend my time doing with tutoring and with the older kids is okay, well, let's come up with a story. Let's write a story about a fairy and a rock. My kindergartners do a better job at coming up with a story about a fairy and a rock than my grade threes and fours. I believe it. Right. And it's like, but why? Like the rock could turn into a another princess and they become best friends and go off on adventures together. Like there's so much that could happen with it. This is just me coming up with random stuff. If you can't tell, Mm -hmm. but imagination is so key because that's how things get created. That's how new things get discovered and built. Right. We want to live in a world where it's imagine if, or what would happen if, right? Like discovery, there's so many things to be created. So it's, there's a great thing about, you know, we want children to be quiet and complacent when they're little, but loud and proactive when they're older. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't suffocate them in the early years and then suddenly expect the flower to grow later on. Yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. yes, lots of metaphors today. I love it. Early years is the foundation. Every single time. Yeah. So how can, well, we, we touched on this, but how can teachers make play a part of the learning process? So 
start with your environment. I cannot, like we've already gone over that. Start with your environment, but also get yourself prepared. If you do have admin or parents that you think are going to kind of be a bit of a brick wall, get yourself the articles, get yourself the resources. So we use a great resource in Ontario called the elect document. So that's what I kind of use as my guiding, um, I guess, academic targets when I'm talking about things. So I'll say like counting by 10 or counting to 10. And then I'll put like section 4.17. I don't know if that's actually the section, but that's my (laughs) But even so, for example, the article by Florida State University, the research paper on block play and how it benefits math skills later on, right? Mm -hmm. Have that in a binder ready to go. Send it to parents and emails. Hey, we're going to start investing in our block center. If you've got boxes at home, would love for you to bring them in. Um, Here's some research to support why block play is so important because two things are going to happen. One, you're not going to get as much pushback from parents in your center. And two, you might have parents who start investing in block play at home. Mm. And how amazing would it be if you can make an impact, not only at school, but also in a child's development when they go home. That's amazing. That's incredible. Right. Yeah. So research and, and we are educators, right? Again, doing that also sets us up as professionals in the eyes of parents who, unfortunately, some of them do see us as professionals, um, but some of us, we are still working hard to prove it, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're supporting what we're doing in our classrooms with research, suddenly people are going, oh, this isn't just quote unquote fun. However, I don't see what the problem is with having a job that is fun and sending your child to a fun environment, but I digress on that one. (laughs) Um, But we are setting ourselves up for success when we do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Do you have any resources that teachers can grab if they're looking to learn more? I would like that article on block play because I will put it in the show notes for teachers to grab. Perfect. So I'll send you. (laughs) Perfect. So I will absolutely send that to you. It's a huge research paper. So I will send that to you as well as there's an article about the benefits of loose play that I will also send your way to put on your show notes. Um, and just, oh my gosh, like I could go on forever about resources, but I would say just start simple, you know, start by going to the shaping little minds podcast page, start with those articles. And then start with your environment. One of my favorite, favorite books is actually an architecture book about classrooms called The Third Teacher. The Third Teacher is a Reggio Emilia concept, but they've taken it into this architecture book all about the environment. The number one reason kids miss school in the U.S., and I think the third reason they miss it here in Canada, is because of asthma. So it's one of the number one reasons for absences. So they're really working hard to benefit or to change the environment so that children aren't missing as much school. Wow! And one of the best ways to do that is adding plants to your classroom, especially air purifiers, because it's going to help the quality of the air in your classroom, right? We can't be tearing down walls and adding in air purifiers within all the classrooms, but we can add plants that are air purifiers. So it's making little changes that will make big differences. I love that. I I have asthma. And if I had something like that in nursery school, I feel like I also would have not been as absent. Um, 
last question. Yes. How can teachers find out more about you and connect with you? Love it. So number one, I would say reach out to me on Instagram. I am fairly active over there. So it's at EL Foundations. Also, you can check out my website and contact me through there at elfoundations.com. And I love, love, love connecting with people. So don't ever hesitate to reach out. Yeah, you should reach out. (laughs) (laughs) She can teach you a lot. Thank you again for being on the podcast I'm sure the listeners will love this episode. Oh, I so hope they do. And I so hope that, you know, it just pushes them one step further to play. Yes. Amen to that. How amazing was that? Carla and I have the best conversations. I end up learning just as much as you probably did. I love having conversations with people who are just as passionate about early childhood as I am. Before I close this episode, I wanted to remind you that my brand new program, The Confident ECE, is officially open. This is a high-quality professional development program that provides one-on-one mentorship for new and struggling teachers. This program will meet your specific needs by diving into what struggles you're facing right now inside the classroom. Not only that, I help you to develop a strong identity outside of teaching so that you are able to find a work-life balance that suits you. This is a great way to start off the school year with complete confidence. If you have been in search of a professional development program that will help you to grow and learn inside the classroom, this is the perfect opportunity for you. You can learn more by booking a free, and I said free, 60-minute call where I help you to identify who you are as a teacher and who you want to be outside of that. We get to start diving into making teaching a part of your life rather than letting it consume your life. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast episode. If you could share this episode with your teacher friends, leave a review, or just share the episode on Instagram and tag me at Shaping Little Minds Podcast. I love to connect with you. As always, keep learning, growing, and becoming your best teacher self. I am so proud of you. See you next time, teachers.